Hey everyone, welcome to the next episode of Career Changing in Your 20s. This is the podcast where we talk about the ups and downs of career changing and also hear all about a variety of careers and jobs, whether different industries or different roles. This is what we're going to dive deep into today. In today's episode, we're featuring Lexi on her lessons learned having worked in one of the top oil and gas companies in the US and her transition to a clean tech startup. Lexi was a high school friend of mine and we actually reconnected and are both living in the Bay Area right now. So it was great to reconnect and catch up after what, maybe 10 years or so? Yeah, it's been a while. So Lexi is a R&D engineer at a decarbonization startup, and she was previously at a large oil and gas refinery that focused on downstream processing. So this refinery, they essentially took crude oil that comes out of the ground and refined it into gasoline for your car, truck, diesel, and jet fuel. She also studied chemical engineering at University of Texas in Austin, Texas. And this is how she transitioned from chemical engineering to being a process engineer within oil and gas and now at her startup. So welcome to the podcast, Lexi. Sweet. Awesome. Thanks, Jeff. So yeah, let's dive into it. What I'm curious about is really what it was like to work in oil and gas out of undergrad, as well as today and for future students or people thinking about this industry as a career. Because, I mean, it's not just today, but even starting in 2008, 2012, 2014, we really saw the world start to transition and focus more on sustainability and new forms of energy. So even though that has been the case and is the large macro trend, we still continue to see a lot of our energy being derived from oil and gas and natural gas. And then all that being said is a lot of these oil and gas companies, different suppliers, upstream, downstream, everyone is looking to probably decrease their carbon output and focus on decarbonization and sustainability. But fundamentally, from a source of energy standpoint, oil and gas is still very popular. So what I'm curious about is what kind of conversations did you, your classmates, and or other people in the industry after undergrad say about the whole trend to sustainability, decarbonization, especially when they're in the oil and gas field? Did they feel like they had to switch industries? So no, that's a good that's a good question. So really when I was in college in Texas, there was a lot of conversation about the traditional path of a process engineer. So Texas, especially Houston, Texas, is built on oil. The industry is huge. Everyone's dad, uncle, brother, whoever, some aunts <laughs> works in oil and gas. And so an entire town, an entire community built built on oil and gas. So when I was in Texas, you know, everybody studying chemical engineering, like the traditional pathway, was to go work at a refinery or a chemical plant, some type of manufacturing facility that aligned with the traditional path of a chemical engineer. But at Austin, so I, I went to UT Austin, was a little bit different uh, than the other colleges in Texas because there was a little bit more diversity and there were more conversations about the energy transition and about the broader job market. So a lot of my classmates would either go into traditional process engineering, kind of like I did, or they went into consulting or they transitioned to being a, like a software engineer in tech. And when I say my mm. classmates, these are all people who graduated with chemical engineering degrees. Mm. So UT Austin was a little unique. Uh, it was kind of like a micro community within Texas where people were a little bit more diverse in their career paths. But Texas as a whole, like people from 
A&M or Baylor, other colleges, they all mm -hmm. were very focused on oil and gas. And I think, like you said, our dependence, our energy dependence on crude oil, I don't think is going to go anywhere in the next 50 years. I think it's that is still going to exist. We have so much infrastructure built on that system, hmm. but it's not, in my opinion, going to be growing. You know, the effort to decarbonize, mm -hmm. the effort to diversify our energy, really that's what's growing. That's kind of more of what I see in the Bay Area. During COVID, actually, there were, so the Bay Area has a few refineries that supply gasoline to the entire Bay Area. And actually two of them closed during COVID hmm. and transitioned to uh, either clean fuel storage or like producing clean fuels, like renewable diesel. So we're definitely starting to already see that shift. And especially being out here in the Bay Area, I'm definitely exposed more to green energy and climate tech as opposed to if I had worked at a refinery in Texas. Got it. And is that a lot of has to do with how California maybe is more progressive in their regulation on these things? So they're pushing for faster transition to clean tech and thus you'll see those plant closures or that demand drop more so in other than in other states. Oh yeah, for sure. So a lot of it is is driven by California and and regulation, like making it an economic opportunity, making it economically feasible to try and like pursue these green energy feats. Mm -hmm. But some of it too, I think, is also cultural, which I think maybe is just a natural thing that happens. You know, people who are a little bit more progressive and, and open to change end up in areas more like California. Okay, so that's helpful. What I'm curious about is what were some of the biggest learnings that you had at your oil and gas company as a process engineer there. And I know you rotated, I think, also around different groups or different functions or parts of the, the company as well. So that would be interesting to hear those nuances. But I think in terms of maybe we can segment hard skills, maybe technical skills versus soft skills, because I know you also sort of manage people as well. So I think at especially at a young age, that, that's a really cool experience. Yeah. So I think just to put things in context, my role was a process engineer, but within that I had maybe four or five transitions to different roles. So as, as a process engineer, basically you are the owner for a specific area in the refinery. Um, and I became an owner for four out of the six potential areas. So mm -hmm. uh, I worked in you know a large percentage of our technology. So when you're the owner, it basically means that if something breaks, if there's a safety concern, if there are any major projects, you own everything that happens in your territory, your area of the refinery. So that's kind of how it's set up. And it works out really well because you, you get a lot of ownership and a lot of leadership at a very young age. So going into kind of the hard skills of, of what you learn, a lot of it is, honestly, a lot of it is what you learn in college, just, just applied to the real world, uh, which mm. is kind of cool. I don't think every major gets to experience that, but well, a lot of... Not. Yeah, definitely not. So really what you learned, like I had textbooks from school that I used, unfortunately. <laughs> so I had uh, a lot of fluids, uh, like sizing safety valves, sizing pumps, calculating pressure drop, you know, all your like classic yeah. homework type problems from school. Like you get mm -hmm. exposure to all of that. Uh, you get exposure on the technical side to risk management, which was something new to me, basically making it, taking this abstract thing of risk and really making it a quantitative process of, okay, what's going to happen? What mitigations do I need in place? Is this an acceptable risk? 
that the company is willing to take on. So mm -hmm. really managing risk as far as safety, that was a new skill. And then as well as like some mechanical skills. So a lot of studying a mechanical drawing of how to install or build something, distillation trays in a tower. Um, it literally, you can imagine, is like a tray. It's a flat piece of metal. Sometimes they have holes in them or other geometry to facilitate separation. Really having a mechanical mindset, that was a new skill that I had to learn on the job of like studying a mechanical drawing. Okay, how am I going to assemble this? Because as a process engineer, you are responsible for putting on a chemical suit and a harness and a respirator and crawling up the tower and looking at, you know, how they installed this me mechanical piece of equipment and signing off saying that it was done properly. So oh. that entire process, yeah, that entire process of like studying the drawing, really understanding what is critical for this thing to work and then making sure that it was actually executed properly. And then, yeah, you, you sign your name and if it breaks, people come looking and say, Hey, who signed off <laughs> on this? So it's, it's the real deal. You got to know what you're talking about. So those are like kind of the, the hard skills of, of what I learned. I'm more interested. I think really the most value that I got out of my previous experience was the soft skills. So one of the big ones, which sounds kind of silly, but it's like technical communication of mm. ideas to non-technical people. So you learn how to talk to everybody and their mother. You learn how to explain <laughs> what is wrong with your reactor to someone who maybe just has a high school GED. And you also have to explain that same concept to someone who has a PhD in chemical engineering, who's you know gonna be quizzing you and doesn't have that much time. They need to know the information that they wanna know fast. Or you need to talk to someone from the EPA or you need to talk to someone who's like an electrical engineer. So also an engineer, but not of your specialty. So you really learn how to communicate and understand how to best portray those ideas so that people can understand and follow what you're talking about. Mm -hmm. Because when something goes wrong, you basically have to communicate with everyone on the floor, with other advisors, with regulators. Like, is, is this in a situation where something's going wrong or you need something to change or you're trying to drive an initiative and... These are just all your stakeholders, essentially. Yep, exactly. These are all your stakeholders. So it's either when you're trying to drive change, like a new project, or it's when something goes wrong. And usually, speaking of when something goes wrong, another skill you learn is how to work well under pressure. So something that's unique to the re refining environment is that it operates 24-7. So someone is there okay. making gasoline, making jet, making diesel, literally 24-7. And if they're mm. not, the company is losing hundreds of thousands of dollars every day. So there's a lot of pressure when something goes wrong and you're not making product or you're making poor quality product to fix it. So you really learn how to take a step back, how to operate well under pressure, how to make fast decisions and when to slow down and say like, hey, I don't have enough information to make a decision. So mm -hmm. I have to be comfortable saying, yeah, you, we're gonna lose another 500 grand but I don't care. I need another day before we make a yeah, decision to kind of um, weigh the trade-offs there. Yeah, exactly. To weigh the trade-offs. But yeah, in that process, you're communicating with all these different stakeholders. So technical communication, working under pressure, those are kind of the two biggest things that you saw from a soft skill perspective. Yeah, for sure. And the other one I would add to that, honestly, is like leadership. I think part of your question, Jeff, is you mentioned, you know, right out of college, what is it like to be in a position where you're managing and, and leading some people? So really, when you're 22 and just graduated and joining 
a refinery, it's a little intimidating. You know, you're young and you're telling way more experienced people what to do. And that is a skill that takes some time to really get. But honestly, I learned like you kind of have to build that relationship and develop the mutual respect and treat people like people honestly treat them how you would want to be treated and not just bark in orders. And you kind of develop that relationship and you develop a sense of trust and it makes things go a lot smoother. I want to dive into this a little bit more actually, because this is really interesting, right? So how are you coming out in a leadership position right out of undergrad? Like how is it structurally viable for the company to put you in that position? And then two is maybe, can you give an example or I want to hear a little bit more on how you develop that relationship, build that connection, because these are, I'm I'm sure, very diverse people, or they've been around this industry way longer than you have, right? And they they really know the manufacturing process and everything. So why are you even in that position? So one, how is it even viable to put new grads in that position? That's a great question. And honestly, when I was in that position, I was like, I can't believe that this is my (laughs) job. (laughs) Yeah. But to add some context to it. So really the biggest, I would say, project that you get put on and get put in a leadership position really early on in your experience at the company is through turnarounds. So turnarounds are something where sections of the refinery get taken out of service. So they're basically shut down so that you can perform maintenance on them. Uh, Like I mentioned, the refinery is running 24-7 and you need to shut down and perform maintenance so that you can keep on operating. And most of the time it's well-planned and sometimes it's not, but really during turnarounds is when the process engineer gets their time to shine and they're really in the biggest leadership position. And it's honestly, from the company's perspective, there's really no other choice. Uh, You kind of need someone to fill this role. And where I worked, the staffing was very lean. So they needed people to kind of step up and take this position at some other larger oil and gas companies. They usually have more experienced engineers who will kind of step up and and take the lead and then have kind of train the younger engineers. Uh, But where I worked, we didn't have that kind of experience split. They ran really lean. So you had to kind of step up and you do have some guidance, but really that guidance is coming from someone who's already a manager who's going above and beyond to help guide and mentor you, uh, there really isn't a good position to fill that leadership role during a turnaround. So really like what you're responsible for as a new grad process engineer is anything that has to do with catalyst. So when I was 22, one of the projects that you work on during a turnaround is a catalyst change out. So basically when you're the process engineer, you are the project manager. So you own this entire process and you basically are working with different stakeholders to try and facilitate this catalyst change out. So what is catalyst? It's basically like one of the ingredients you need to facilitate your chemical reactions. It's just like when you're baking, you have to add a bunch of ingredients, stick it in the oven. Catalyst helps promote that reaction. The main thing to know here is catalyst is very expensive. It's a high value product. So I was managing $6 million worth of catalyst. And it only gets changed once every six years. So there's a very high opportunity cost if it doesn't go well. It's supposed to work for six years. So really everybody understands that when you are the process engineer owning this part of the turnaround, it's high pressure um, because of the dollar value and because of the opportunity. And there's a lot of details that require a high level of scrutiny to make sure things go well. So if it's raining, you need to make sure you take care of your catalyst and it doesn't get wet, it will get ruined. 
you need to watch how it's being loaded. So taking a step back, when you're the process engineer, you work with a bunch of different stakeholders. So you have other engineers who are basically your team that you manage and that help you because there's a lot of tasks that need to get done. And this is a 24 hour operation. So if you're the leader, you'll be on day shift. You'll have an engineer who helps you, who just takes direct orders basically of what you need to get done that day and they'll help you do it. And then you have a night shift. And so it's really important that you set up those night shift engineers well so that they understand what needs to get done and they can make critical decisions. Otherwise, they're going to be calling you at three o'clock in the morning and you're going to be going out to the refinery to answer the questions if you haven't prepared them well. Uh, you also work with contractors and operators who are you know, normal employees of the company, and they're the people that are actually doing the physical work. So you're working with them to make sure things get done properly, uh, that you're staying on schedule and you're not holding things back. Uh, you're not holding up the schedule. You're, you know, performing all your inspections and your checks. And basically what you're doing is trying to keep all these different stakeholders moving in unison, uh, communicating really well and making sure everyone understands what's mm -hmm. going on. And that's really the kind of the unique leadership opportunity that I got when I was 22. Mm -hmm. And to follow up on one thing you said before in terms of the relationship building, and sorry, this sounds really like an interview. I mean, maybe it kind of no, is, okay. but I think this is a really if you have a cool example, I think this is really insightful, right? Is, is there a time where like someone or some people weren't, or some groups weren't cooperative and like, what was that reason and how did you guys kind of compromise, right? Because in these high pressure situations, it seems like, and again, like these people are very experienced, right? They, they know their way around these kind of processes. So I'm curious to know, like, what is an area of conflict that may typically happen? Oh yeah, for sure. So one of the projects I worked on during a turnaround was installing this distillation tray. So a distillation tray is basically this like large sheet of metal that has holes in it and it just helps facilitate our processing. Um, and it seems really simple. It's just a big sheet of metal, uh, but the way it's installed is, is really critical. It has to be level and it has to be positioned in, in the right place. And like I mentioned, you get these opportunities very rarely. I mean, this piece of equipment you fix probably once every 12 years. Wow. So you want to make okay. sure it's done properly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You want to make sure it's done right. Um, and if it's not installed properly, you can lose efficiency. You miss out on products. So it's really a big deal to make sure it works right. Yeah. So to get up there, this distillation tray is like six stories up a tower. So you got to, you know, crawl up a ladder, six stories. And I'm going mm. up there with the contractor who's actually installing it. Mm -hmm. And we get up there and I'm, I'm taking some measurements and I tell the contractor, you know, it's not installed to our spec. Uh, I'm going to need you to do some more work on this. Yeah. And oh, he told me, he's like, he goes, you think you're working for NASA. We're not trying to be that precise. And he kept calling me NASA. He's like, NASA here we need to, <laughs> is trying to be so precise. He's like, we're making oil. And so basically I had to explain to him why it does have to be that precise. And so in that, yeah, in that situation... You just have to think about their perspective and where he's coming from. You know, there's a reason why he's saying it. And you also have to be kind of open and flexible and explain your perspective and where you're coming from. Like, why mm -hmm. do I have these specs? Why am I asking this? Um, and then also kind of understand like what he's seen before and try and kind of reconcile and come up with a compromise. So let's move to what were your hours typically in a week and maybe walk through a brief day in the life. I think that'd be really interesting to hear. 
So normally we worked from six o'clock. So you get in the office at six, you have a half an hour to check your performance reports on how your unit is doing. And then you report on how it's doing at a meeting at 6.30. And then at 6.30, you have all these stakeholders. You have mechanical workers, mm -hmm. mechanical engineers, managers, you know, business people, planners, basically anyone who has any stake in that unit and how it's operating. You basically report at this meeting at 6.30. Everyone talks about what they need to get done that day, what their concerns are, what their, you know, long-term progress on projects and stuff like that. And then that's at 6.30. Then after that, your day is either troubleshooting if there's a problem that day. Like mm -hmm. if you have off-spec product, you're spending all day until that product is on spec or working on kind of long-term initiatives. So maybe installing some new equipment to improve safety or energy efficiency or optimization. Or if you have a turnaround coming up, planning that, basically planning that project, ordering supplies, you know, things like that, getting ready for it. So half and half between day-to-day -day fighting fires and, and troubleshooting or, you know, long-term initiatives. And then when you're actually in turnaround, you're working 12-hour shifts, 13 days a week, one day off until the project's done. So wow. I've done that. On, okay. Yeah. I've done that on night shift for six weeks. So I worked night shift. Wow. Yeah. For six weeks. But on the regular days, when do you end usually? Oh, so normally you end, you know, if you're on time, uh, you end at three and then Fridays are a half day, yeah. uh, which is pretty sweet. But, you know, I'd say maybe that's 50% of the time. The other time you're usually there till like maybe 4.30. Got it. Uh, but okay. I will say people are pretty good about, yeah, respecting vacation. So when you're working and there's things that need to get done, you kind of step up and get it done. But if you're on vacation, it was very common practice, common culture. Other people on your team will kind of step in and take care of things that you don't get bothered on your vacation. And then how long, how many turnarounds would you have a year? Those like six week sprints. So I got unlucky. And in the three and a half years I worked there, I think I did six turnarounds. Oh, wow. Okay. So I did a lot, but I would say it's more common to have one every two years. Got it. Okay. Yeah. Or 18 months on average. I, I was on the high end. Yeah. Six weeks is a long time to work every day like that that's crazy yes. yeah <laughs> yeah okay yeah th this is really interesting let's actually transition now i think to your current opportunity so what made you transition from oil and gas to clean tech or clean tech startup that's obviously i mean i think it's a pretty big transition right you're going from a very large company incumbent company and going to a much smaller place with different kinds of responsibilities maybe a lot less operational execution wise basically i uh, i transitioned from oil and gas to clean energy because i wanted to be a part of something new and growing like we said oil and gas isn't going anywhere but clean tech alternative energy like that's that's the future mm -hmm. and i kind of want to be part of something new the transition itself it's very difficult. <laughs> it was really hard to prove to these green energy startups that you had credibility. Really the biggest, yeah, it was, it was really hard to kind of explain what a process engineer does, what the skills are. And I will say like the biggest success and why I think that I'm valuable in my current position is because I have that manufacturing and kind of incumbent classic energy experience. So I can kind of bring that to the table and say, okay, this is how normally how things run, normally how big companies, what they'll be looking for. So at least bringing that perspective to the table is a little bit unique. 
but the transition itself was very difficult to find an opportunity to make that transition. But what? Why did they not understand? Because your startup actually they're they're trying to innovate a typical chemical process. So I'm really surprised that they wouldn't understand. Like, are they just focused on marketing? Like, I'm really surprised they wouldn't understand what you do at a refinery when this is the kind of market they're trying to penetrate. Yeah. So really, I think they don't understand what your skills are outside of drawing PNIDs and sizing pumps. Okay. And for that, they could get any standard chemical engineer. But a lot of these green energy startups, I have to, well, I should preface it with a lot of them in the Bay Area or a lot of the opportunities I was looking at are very early stage. So they're still like lab scale or just starting to scale up to pilot plant. So really, I, I think where my skill set falls in is when you're scaling up to manufacturing, you know, at a Got manufacturing it. size scale. Mm-hmm. And what's and PNID? A process and instrumentation diagram. So it's basically okay. your, your drawings yeah. of the process. Some of the pros and cons of my current role. So I'm a chemical engineer in the R&D group. So basically, I work on our product, designing experiments, testing it, coming up with kind of new designs and solutions to help increase throughput, efficiency, production, things like that. So one of the big pros of my current role is that it's an R&D scale, not a large manufacturing scale. So you get to implement a lot of changes and try a lot of new ideas relatively quickly, uh, which I enjoy. I think it's pretty cool. Um, I've gotten to kind of change our system and try things that would have taken me years to actually do and execute in my previous role. Just because on the you know R&D scale, that's what it's meant for. It's very low, low consequence if things don't work. So that's been really cool. It's cool to work with a small, within a small startup environment. It's a very like community oriented team. Everyone mm-hmm. helps each other out. We're all focused on the same goal. So the environment there I think is really positive. Some of the cons, I would say, is it's not a big company. So sometimes you get involved in things that are a little bit maybe outside of your specified job scope, but it's a startup and everyone's got to help out and uh, and get things done. So sometimes you get pulled into other areas of the business uh, that you wouldn't necessarily be involved in, which Mm -hmm. can also be good. You learn a lot more. And maybe some of the other cons is just some of the cons that come with a young and maturing company. So establishing processes, procedures, like mm-hmm. kind of establishing how how things are done takes a little bit more work because that infrastructure isn't built yet. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, that's that's really interesting. Let's go back to an earlier topic here. I want to hear your perspective on is, let's say you have a very similar person coming out of undergrad, studied chemical engineering. Um, they're looking at right either oil and gas or looking at clean tech, what kind of advice would you give to them? Like, which path should they go down? Did you think that your previous experience was a great foundation? And that's something that other people should experience? Or obviously, it depends on what they want to do and specifically get out of it. But just your high level thoughts on how you reflect on the path that you've taken, and how that maybe will set you up for the future. So I would say I definitely value my previous experience in oil and gas. And I think it taught me a lot. Mm-hmm. Like if I compare myself to my peers, I feel like I gained a lot of skills and had a lot of experiences uh, more so than if I had gone straight into clean tech. 
mm-hmm. um, but kind of taking a step back, I think most of uh, some of the reason why that's the case is I think it's actually pretty important to join a larger company when you're right out of college. I think it's really important to be somewhere that has the infrastructure, the training to kind of teach you, okay, you're moving from school to a corporation. This is how things are done in the real world. Um, and I think getting that experience is super valuable. You're basically building your, your toolkit and then you can take that to a smaller company. That's kind of how I would think about it in terms of your personal growth and your skill set and becoming valuable at a potentially in a different role or at a different mm-hmm. company. But as far as oil and gas and clean tech, I would say if you could find a clean tech opportunity that is a little bit further along, either like a late stage startup or a branch of one of these big companies that is dedicated to decarbonization, I would say those are, that's probably what I would recommend to a chemical engineer new grad that is Mm -hmm. looking to enter, enter the green energy space. I think entering as a new grad to a small, fresh startup is a little bit more difficult because you just don't have, you just don't have that background yet. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I think that's really helpful. I agree. I think not just that's a comment. I think that not just applies to oil and gas, clean tech, but for a lot of other industries. So that's really helpful. So thanks for staying on. This was a really cool episode. I hope people got a lot out of it talking about just this world of oil and gas, all the huge lessons that you learned, hard skills, soft skills, different examples that you provided, and then your transition to clean tech and ultimately just a final reflection on your career and life so far. I think you're on a great track and I'm really excited to see where you go in the future. And I hope all the listeners, especially if you're in undergrad or in high school or thinking about chemical engineering and or just going into oil gas industry overall, I think Hopefully you got a lot out of this too. So thanks for listening. If you have questions for Lexi or anything, feel free to contact our email at careerchanginginyour20s at gmail.com. Please follow and rate us on Spotify and Apple and podcasts and hope you stick around on this cool journey where we'll continue to hear awesome stories from people in all a variety of industries and careers. So thanks, cheers, and happy listening.